Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 172 and session number 49 of Ask Scott. This is where I answer your questions here live on the podcast by you submitting your questions via voicemail. And you guys know I get so excited to answer these questions and just get to hang out with you guys because that's really what it feels like, right? You guys submit your voicemails, which is you recording your message and then me answering it. So it really is a way for us to connect and I really, really love doing these. So keep them coming. If you guys have a question that you want asked or uh, answered on the podcast, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash ask. Once again, that's theamazingseller.com forward slash ask. All right. So I want to mention this too really quickly is that all of the show notes and the transcripts for this episode can be found at the amazingseller.com forward slash 172. This again is something that we've just recently added is the transcript. So if you guys want to take advantage of those, you guys asked for them. So we delivered them, uh, go over and uh, check those out. You can read them right on the blog or you can download them there as well. Now, before we jump into the live Q and a, which I'm really excited to get started on, we've got some really good questions here and I've got a little treat for you. Uh, I wanted to highlight someone inside of the Facebook group, the TAS Facebook group that is, and I'm calling this person an action taker because they've taken action and they've said it on the group and a ton of response came from that, but I wanted to share it with you. And this way here we can, you know, kind of all celebrate it together. So his name is Grant Cox and here is what he said. He said, a big thank you to this community and to Scott. I went live with my first product three days ago and just today made it to page one and sold 15 units. It's time to get excited. Thanks for helping me take action, everyone. Over 153 likes, a ton of comments, and that was posted not that long ago. So, Grant, I want to say that's awesome, man, and thanks for posting that because, again, if we can stay motivated, inspired, and ask questions along the way, I mean... If you, I mean, you guys can't see this, and I'll link up this particular thread, so this way here, here you guys can go directly to it in the show notes, but what Grant was basically saying was that he was, you know, taking action, and then a whole bunch of people come in and they start asking, what did you do, what was your launch strategy, what did you use pay-per-click, da-da-da-da-da, right? So all of that stuff starts to get asked, and then he goes ahead and he answers it, and uh, it's a great way to see the process and share with one another. So again, if you guys are not connected to the Facebook group inside of the TAS community, definitely, definitely going to want to do that. I think we have over 23,000, actually, I'm looking at it right now, 23,636 members in there currently right now. So if you want to be a part of that, all you have to do is head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash F is in Frank, B is in boy, that's for Facebook, and you'll be directed to the page where you will request to join, and within a few hours, you should be approved. All right, so uh, totally free, and it's there for you, the podcast listeners of The Amazing Seller. So definitely head over and do that. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, let, let's let's dive in. I'm getting excited here, aren't I? Let's go ahead and listen to the first question, and then I'll go ahead and I'll give you my answer. Hi, Scott. Love what you're doing. Um, my name is Michael. I'm on the road like five hours a day listening to your podcast, man. Um, I travel a lot for work and, uh, you know, long story short is I, 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 um, heard you quite a few times mention that, you know, supplements isn't something that you would personally get into probably because the competition is fierce on there. Well, my question to you would be if somebody is selling supplements online, 
how would you go about entering into that market when there is a lot of competition? So if I were to search for a certain supplement and there was 2,000 reviews for the first one, 1,000 for the next, and maybe it drops off from there, but the competition is big in that market, um, how would you enter that for somebody that does have a company that wants to get onto Amazon? Um, once again, man, thank you. I appreciate everything that you're doing. Keep it up. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for the question. Yeah, man, long road trips, huh? Five hours, that's a long time. So I'm glad I was able to be in that car with you or the truck or whatever you're driving and uh, hopefully uh, inspiring and motivating and teaching you a little something along the way. So that's really awesome and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I mean, you know what? If you're selling supplements, like if you're a business right now and you're not just looking to get into the supplement business, and again, I'm just talking for my own my own thought process, right? It's not really that it's a right or a wrong, but if you're if someone already right now has a supplement business or a supplement line that they're selling somewhere else and then they want to bring it to Amazon, I think that's perfect, right? Like I would be doing that. That w- I would definitely be doing that. I wouldn't be doing it because the the competition's fierce. I'd be doing it because my product should be on Amazon, right? And and that's that's a different situation that we're talking about there. That's not like you just starting from scratch saying I want to launch a supplement company and I'm going to start on Amazon. I think that's I think that still can be done. Um but I don't think that that's the best plan of attack if you're just starting and you want to build this business, unless it's something that you've created, your own blend, your own proprietary, you know, uh, formula, and it, and it, it, you know, does a certain thing, or maybe it, it strips out some of these other ingredients that are technically uh, harmful, or maybe someone's allergic to, like, if there's some special spin that you were able to create, and you know that there's a huge market looking for this, and you're going to come into the market and be different, that right there is an opportunity, right? So yeah, I would say that would even be okay. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I would do that because I do know that there's going to be a lot of work to get that thing going. But let's kind of go back for a second. If you have a product that or products, product line, whatever, a business that's already selling, like a brick and mortar, let's say, and now you want to take those products and bring them to Amazon, well, you have a little bit of an advantage because you probably have an email list. You should anyway, even if you only have a brick and mortar, you should be collecting people's email addresses inside your store. Or if you're online on another, if you're on Shopify or if you're on another platform and you're selling your supplements, you should be collecting an email address. And if you are, then it's going to be easier for you to start to get some reviews and some really good social proof about your products and that's going to help you know boost your your uh, your rankings it's going to help boost your conversions and all that stuff so yes you know you'll have a little bit more of an advantage but regardless because the market is really saturated with supplements and it's very competitive you are going to have to do probably promotions probably monthly uh you know uh you're going to have to really crank up the pay per click you know and it's going to be a battle in a sense, right? It's going to be a lot of extra work that you not necessarily would have to do if you weren't in the supplement space. Now, I'm not saying there's not other markets that are as competitive or that are as tough. There are, but this is the one that we're talking about because, well, you brought it up, but, you know, that's the one I always go to. There's, you know, people out there in this space as well that are, you know, hiring people to leave negative reviews and voting down and, uh, you know, voting up theirs and all of this stuff. So there's a lot of foul play happening. So that's my only concern. But if you already currently have something established or something that you already have, 
going right now, then yeah, the natural thing would be to then launch that on Amazon and then, you know, put everything you have behind it. And uh, you're not only relying on Amazon, you're just tapping into that, into that platform. Uh, so my recommendation to you would be just that if you already currently have a business, then yes, bring it on Amazon. If you're thinking about starting something and starting it with Amazon, unless it's something that is totally unique to you and to your, your brand and then to your market, then I would say, you know, do it. But if it wasn't just be prepared, if you're going to go down this road to spend a lot of money because you're going to have to spend a lot of money to get recognized and to get things rolling. Like you said, 2000 reviews, that's hard to compete against. Uh, and you know that that brand is probably actively, you know, doing promotions. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you just got to be careful on that. So hopefully this has helped you. Hopefully you already do have an established brand and you're just trying to bring it on Amazon. That would be great. And I would give the thumbs up on that for sure. Uh, so hopefully this has been helpful and uh, good luck to you. Keep me posted. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, the, the, the long drives are a little bit easier, uh, with the podcast in your earbuds. So, uh, yeah, awesome. All right, man, take care. Let's go ahead and listen to another question and I'll give you my answer. Hello, Scott. This is Dave. I just wanted to ask you about uh, private labeling as opposed to white labeling or uh, more in particular, the levels of uh, private labeling. You know, I mean, like the top level, of course, would be uh, manufacturing your own product, uh, putting a trademark on that product and uh, your own product name uh, with perhaps the lowest level being sticking a card in the box with your with your uh, name on it but if you could just uh, give me and the audience an idea of the levels of private labeling and um, how that might impact and affect uh, the end business. I think that would be very helpful. Again, thanks for all of your help, uh, listening to all your podcasts, and uh, I am also a member of the Private Labelers uh, Facebook group in which I also get uh, a whole lot of uh, information and motivation out of. Thanks again. Bye for now. Hey, Dave, thanks for the question. And I wanted to answer this question because I do think that it's important to uh, understand uh, that there are different levels in a sense, right? I mean, if you are starting out from scratch, you know, you may not want to go through the whole branding of the product. You may just want to do the AliExpress or something that you find almost like a wholesale item. And then you, and it's, it's just kind of like, like you were saying, like a white label in a sense, it's very similar to private labeling by the way, but let's just say the white label is like a generic brand or maybe it's an unmarked brand that doesn't have anything on it. And then you can, uh, you know, put a card in there or even put your own sticker on a box that it comes in with your information. I've seen that done. I've seen it done on a Holly bag. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's less, uh, I guess work that can be done into private labeling, but it is going to be a little bit more risky as far as you protecting the brand. Okay. Because what you're doing here is you're really doing minimal amounts of work to, uh, to ensure that it's protected, but also that it's branded your product, right? So 
yes, in, in the beginning, if you wanted to do this just to get product launched and to get it to validate that it's going to sell, then I think that's a that's a that's an easy way to do it. And I think that it, you know, you can definitely do that. Now, it's not that much harder to have your manufacturer label on the product or your packaging, okay? It's not much more work to do that, but in some cases, you may get maybe a hundred units of something that you can get in a week that aren't branded with your stuff, but then you could have them shipped to your place. You can label them yourself. You can put them in a bag. You can put them in a box, whatever you want to do, and then you can brand it in a sense, um, and I've, I've seen that done as well, and that works. But the, the bottom line is here is there are different levels of private labeling. And to me, in the beginning, whatever is going to help you validate and get you know product to market so you can see if it's going to stick, um, then I would do that. That's me personally. Um, and then from there, we can always enhance the branding. We can enhance uh, you know the packaging and the materials and all of that stuff and the user experience and everything. But the bottom line is, is to get that momentum going. Um, and as far as you said, like trademarking, like that's a whole nother process to trademark something. That's going to be an eight month to a year process, if not longer. Um, so, you know, same thing with like brand registry, like that doesn't take that much time. All you need really is a little mini website. But even in the beginning, if you're just trying to validate, you don't necessarily have to do that unless you're validating the brand, right? If you're going to go out there and put three different products and three different markets up there to see which one sticks, well, then you don't really know which one you want to do a brand registry for, right? It makes sense. I think I think uh, that would be the, the smart thing to consider is when you're starting, unless you are, you know, sure that this is going to be the brand that you're going to do, your product brand that is, um, and it's going to be in this market, then that's when you would really take those extra measures to do that. And I know some people might argue this, but this is my thought process. doesn't mean it's right. It just means that it's my thought process and kind of like, you know, my way of doing it for my own internal business, all right, and other future businesses, all right? So hopefully that's helped you. Thanks for the question. Thanks for being a listener. And uh, yeah, keep me posted on that. All right, let's go ahead and listen to another question, and I'll give you my answer. Hi, Scott. My name is Tim, and I'm contacting you from over here in Thailand. I love listening to your show every week, and I've learned a tremendous amount during the process of listening to you, so I really thank you for that. My question is in regards to hijacking. So I love the show that you did recently with the ex-Amazon employee on the show, and it was very useful. My product is brand registered and it is also trademarked. However, when I did the brand registry, I did not put a catalog number. And so after contacting Amazon, they said what I need to do now is to delete my current listing, relist it with a catalog number, and then contact Amazon brand registry. And they will then register the brand and lock down the description and all the product content, which is what I want to do to avoid any hijacking as per the recommendation from your show. But I'm very nervous about deleting my current listing and then relisting it. Amazon are saying that all of your reviews are relevant to the ASIN. So there'll be no problem in deleting your current listing and then relisting it using the ASIN. So just with all the potential for loss or the potential for some heartbreak there, I'm wondering, do you think I should go ahead with all that trouble of deleting my current listing, then relisting it with a catalog number and resubmitting to Amazon? Do you think I should go ahead and do that? 
would love your advice on this matter. Thanks very much, Scott, and keep up the great work. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for the question and congratulations on uh, having a product that is uh, brand registered and trademarked. That's uh, that's pretty awesome uh, to be able to have that done. Now, to answer your question, number one, I'm not 100% sure on that whole product catalog number and all that stuff, and I'm not sure that you got the right answer from, uh, you know, the support at uh, you know, seller central. I, I, I'm not sure about that. Now I would not delete that listing. Uh, me personally. Okay. I would contact another, (laughs) I would contact another rep and then maybe even another rep and I would get someone on the phone and I'd have them explain it to me thoroughly because, you know, I have heard of people being told to delete their listing, but it's also, also through a process, um, that they are guided through with someone at seller central. And then when they bring the product listing back, everything should come back with it. Now, the episode that you were talking about for people that want to know, there was two episodes recently, actually, that I talked about hijacking and some of the best practices. And there was one with ex Amazon employee, James Thompson, and that was episode 147. Again, I'll leave these in the show notes for you guys. Um, and he gave a lot of great insight and tips on that as well. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, go ahead and, and uh, listen to that episode. It's a really good episode. The other one is with Ted Limus, and uh, he uh, is an attorney. And he specializes in Amazon businesses and getting hijackers off their listing. And also, he knows a thing or two about brand registry and all that stuff. And that was episode 152. What I would probably recommend doing is contacting Ted. Okay, he's got a number there that you can contact him. Again, I'll leave it in the show notes. It's also on episode 152. I would contact him and ask him his advice, what you should do in this case. Um... He's definitely more than happy to answer questions. You can either shoot him an email. You can call him on the phone. I would definitely, definitely reach out to Ted and ask him what he would do or what he suggests that you do. Um, Again, uh, that is Ted Limus, and it is 152, and he's an attorney. So I would definitely make that phone call. So I don't really have an exact answer for you, but I do have um, some advice, and that would be I would not delete my listing unless I was 100% sure that it was not going to be wiped out and it was going to come back, you know, be be brought back okay. Um, that would be kind of scary, and I I could hear the the uh, the the fear in your in your voice. So uh, I can definitely relate to that. So I would reach out to seller. Uh, support once again, try to get someone on the phone. I would also reach out to Ted and I would ask his opinion on that as well. All right. So sorry, I couldn't give you an exact answer. Um, I feel for you. I do. Uh, But I think that we can definitely get to the bottom of this. If you just take those, um, you know, those two recommendations and uh, follow up with that, I think you'll be fine. All right. So keep me posted on what happens though. I'd love to uh, maybe even uh, on another ask Scott, I could bring this back up again and, and let people know what happened. I think that would be interesting. So we know in the future. All right, so thanks for the question. All right, let's go ahead and listen to one more question. I'll give you my answer. Actually, for this next one, I'm going to invite on Chris Schaefer, who uh, before I recorded this, I did a hot seat session with him, and I said, hey, you know what? I just got a uh, question about pay-per-click. I would love you to come on with me and give me your take, and I'll give my take, and I think it'd be pretty, uh, pretty awesome to be able to do that for the listeners, for you guys. So that's what you're going to hear here. You're going to hear myself and Chris Schaefer talking about this question about pay-per-click. But first off, I'll let the, uh, the person ask the question, and then we'll go ahead and answer it for you. 
Hi Scott, uh, g'day g'day, this is Lauren from Brisbane, Australia and I'm a huge fan of your podcast. It's really helped me to accelerate my, uh, my FBA and private label business and my question today is about the best practice of tweaking PPC keywords. So what I currently do is review my campaigns and my keywords at least once a week and when I do that there's three things that I do. So the first one is to go through and increase my bid so that it matches the suggested page one bid, as long as it's not too high. Um, The second thing I do is to try and pick out some winning keywords and transfer them into an exact match campaign uh, so they can have their own budget as per your trainings. Um, The third thing I do is to go through and pause keywords that either have a high spend with no sales or a high average cost of sale, like greater than 200%. So um, my question is really on the pausing of keywords and how I should make that decision to pause. Um, Because there's different periods that you can filter by when you're looking at keywords. So the question is, how do you um, choose which period to filter by? So do I look at last week or month to date? to look at last month, you know, year-to-date, lifetime. And so, like, the, uh, for example, the average cost of sale could be really high for a period that was last week or month-to-date, but then when I go and look at its lifetime average cost of sale, it's not that bad. It could be quite low. Um, so what would be your best practice uh, on this, and do you have any other suggestions on the tweaking of keywords? Um, thanks very much and I hope you get to answer this on the show thanks bye hey Lauren thank you so much for the question and uh, I've got to say you know it sounds like you're doing a lot of things right but there is some things that you could probably be doing differently and I also have a guest on with me right here and uh, well let me just kind of explain what happened here Chris and I Chris Schaefer that is we're, we're just doing a hot seat session and uh, I knew I had this question because I was listening to it this morning and I said you know what let's have Chris on and let's listen to his his opinion or his advice because you know he does know a thing or two about this Amazon pay-per-click thing so Chris thank you so much for coming on and help me answer this question today Anytime, brother. I'm really excited to hear about your answer, and then I'm going to give my answer. So why don't we hear yours first, and then I'll go ahead and give you mine. So like you said, you know, she is doing a lot of things. She's doing, you know, I'd say 90% more than most people are doing, which is good. It sounds like she's got kind of the basics down. Uh, The thing that I got out of what she said is she's saying, you know, basically every seven days she's going in. She's matching the page one bid. She's moving keywords to exact. She's pausing high spend and, you know, high ACOS keywords, which is a lot of the stuff you want to do. But there was one thing that kind of stuck out to me, and that was increasing bid to match page one bid. The only place where you really see that, I think, is the the back end of Amazon. And I don't do any of my optimization out of that back end. I do it all off of the customer search term report. And the reason that I do that is because the keywords that you see in the back end of Amazon in that advertising section are not necessarily the keywords that are driving the clicks, the sales, and the spending, right? All of those are shown to you in that customer search term report. So especially with those broad match, you know, Scott, the the automatic campaign that you talk about and the the suggested keywords campaign, especially on broad match, if you see a keyword, you know, let's just go with garlic press, right? And you're running that on broad match, garlic press itself might show that it's got that 200% ACOS. And so you go in and you pause it. But what's actually happening is, 
if you look at the customer search term report, you'll see keyword garlic press, and then you'll see what the customer actually searched for. Exactly. And that's where you find the gold. Yeah. Right. Because somebody might be typing in stainless steel, long handled garlic press. And while the keyword garlic press says that it's a 200% ACOS, maybe every time somebody's typing in stainless steel, long handled garlic press, and they click on your ad, they're buying it by pausing garlic press in broad, you stop running for that phrase that you want to rank for or that that you actually do want to show up in your advertising. So, Lauren, if you're not already, please download and use that customer search term report. And it is it's an Excel. It's a it's a CSV. So you can open it with Excel or Google Sheets and you can create all kinds of filters and, and look at it however you want to look at it and use the same strategies that you're using now. But it gives you a much more granular look. I think the other thing that I noticed is she said she's moving them directly to exact if they're working and you don't ever and OK, there there may be cases, but generally speaking, you don't ever want to move from broad to exact. You want to move those to phrase and I wouldn't even move what you're using as a keyword. I would move those customer search terms to phrase because you know that that's what's driving sales. You can tie it down at a search level as opposed to at the the higher keyword level. Does that make sense, Scott? Yeah, it it does. I mean, to kind of even, you know, I guess dumb it down even more, it would be, you know, like if you're pulling a broad term, okay, if you're looking at on the surface level, on the top part of that, and you're looking at this one broad term, and then you're seeing that the ACOS is, is a certain number, you don't really know a month from now that same keyword might be triggering four different other keywords that aren't converting as well. So because of that, that's what made your ACOS change in for the worse. But if you were to see that in the back end, you can see that, well, the keyword that really converted was the one that was being searched for, not necessarily the broad. The broad was just triggering the related part of that keyword. And then from there, you can take that and move it into a phrase versus just taking it all the way from a broad to an exact uh, and I think you and I both talked about it. The really the only time that you'll ever want to put something into an exact is if it's been proven over and over and over again that people click on that, they find or they find your listing, they click or they click on it, and then the, to find your listing, and then from there they convert to a sale over and over and over and over again. Then that's when you're going to want to move that. But other than that, if you just want to take that keyword that has been searched for on the back end that you can see in that data report, and then you can see that that one there is really the is really the golden nugget. You'll pull that and put it into a phrase match. And then from there, you'll run ads against that and see how that performs. And then that will also give you some extenders or some you know prefixes where you can see also maybe some other gold that surfaces from that. So that's, I think, what you're you're saying, Chris, right? I mean, you're not just you're not looking at the broad as the main keyword. You're looking at that as kind of like the discovery keyword that's helping you be discovered by all these other random keywords that we can see the data from. Right. I don't even look at those keywords. I, I, I basically hide the keyword column when I download that customer search term report because I don't care. Mm-hmm. The only thing I care about is what the customers are searching. Right. It doesn't matter to me what triggered that. Right. So it, so moving forward, though, Chris, let's just try to give her like, you know, an, an answer here. I mean, so moving forward, I mean, and everything else that you're doing is to me is spot on. Right. It's just looking at the data. So really, it's not necessarily going in. Um, so if she has, uh, if she, uh, I guess the question was this, if she has a keyword in a broad and it was doing good and she looks at it and she looks uh, maybe a month ago for the, the last month, it did really good. And then this current month, she's three weeks into this month and it's doing really bad. 
What does she do at that point? Again, and that's where the customer search term report comes in handy, right? Because it's a, I think it's a rolling 90 days. Mm -hmm. So I, I generally look at that 90 day period, but she can still look and see in that report, she can filter by that keyword. So let's just go with garlic press, right? Using some basic Excel, you can filter and just pull up all of the customer search terms that were triggered by garlic press. And you'll be able to do exactly what you and I just described and say, this one's working, this one's not. This one's working, this one's not. If they're all not working, that's when you would go in and pause that broad match keyword. Chances are there's going to be at least one golden one in there. You can move that to a phrase and then pause, you know, then pause it. But you, you still want to filter down and look. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And again, I wouldn't overcomplicate things either. It sounds like you got a pretty good handle on it. I think it's just the tweaking on the back end um, and then looking at that at that 90 day uh, you know, report and then kind of making the decision based off of that. And again, I always, I kind of look at it again, like finding the keywords that are performing, even if they're not performing like under like, you know, 15% ACOS, like something crazy, right? As long as they're bringing sales and they're not like losing money at that stage, then it's almost worth to keep it. If you're, if you know that if you get ranked for that, or if you're getting ranked for that, that's going to help you stay there. Um, so again, just, a little off topic there, but you know, I wouldn't go too crazy and too deep, but I would start looking at a lot more of that report on a 90 day. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can look at your one month and, and if that all of a sudden goes the other way, then yeah, you want to kind of dig in and see what just happened, um, which you can, but I wouldn't go too crazy with, uh, you know, needing to pause unless you see something really going crazy. And that's, that's really why that report is, is so nice, right? Cause you can log into the back end every seven days and you say, oh, wow, my ACOS went way up on this, this broad keyword. You can then download that report and look at what happened. Yes. Yeah. And so you'll know exactly what happened yep. at the search level. Everything that was searched and clicked on is shown to you in that report. So you'll say, oh, wow, it started showing up for this. It wasn't showing up for this the last time that I looked at it. Maybe I need to make that a negative or maybe I need to pause it then you can make you can make a much more informed decision than you can based off the information that's just in the back end. Exactly. Um, okay, so that's uh, that's pretty much it. So, Chris, thanks thanks for hanging out with me a little bit longer here, so we can go ahead and get that answered. And anyone that wants to know more about pay per click stuff, I'll give you the episodes. There's episode one nineteen. So theamazingseller.com forward slash 119. There's also episode 129, which is uh, big mistakes to look out for. And then also 164, which was how to improve your pay-per-click campaigns to perform better. Uh, and that one there was with Tyrone. So check those out. I'll leave them in the show notes as well. Chris, thanks again for stopping by again. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, talk to you soon, buddy. So that's it, guys. That's going to wrap up this session of Ask Scott. Uh, as always, keep the questions coming. If you guys have a question that you want me to answer on the show, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash ask. Once again, that's theamazingseller.com forward slash ask. If you don't submit questions, I can't answer them. So go ahead and submit your questions. I want to hear from you in your own voice. Leave your name and your question, and I'll do my best to get it aired here on the show and answer your question live on a podcast. All right. So would love to be able to do that for you. Once again, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash ask, and you can do just that. Ask your question. All right. So that's it, guys. That's going to wrap it up. Remember, I'm here for you. I believe in you. I'm rooting for you, but you have to. You have to. Come on. Say it with me. Say it loud. You know the drill. Come on. Let's say it. Take 
action. Have an awesome, amazing day, and I will see you in the next episode.